0: Hello, and welcome back to Music Therapy and Beyond. Today, I am sharing with you some really cool and very mm, heady-based teaching for our teaching segment for the month of April. Today, I'm gonna be sharing with you something that I love to geek out about, and that is polyvagal theory in counseling and therapy and how it relates to music therapy how the research ties into and affirms what we're already doing, and ways that we can incorporate the research and the knowledge to advance our music therapy practice even further. I'm so excited to get into it. So, without further ado, let's get started. is the vagus nerve. Well, the vagus nerve is one of the 12 cranial nerves that is split into two branches called the dorsal and the vagal branches of the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve, um, which is listed as nerve 10, serves multiple functions in the body relating to regulating the body's stress responses, including sensory functions of providing somatic sensation information for the skin behind the ear, the external part of the ear canal, and certain parts of the throat. It supplies visceral sensation information for the larynx, esophagus, lungs, trachea, heart, and most of the digestive tract. And it plays a small role in the sensation of taste near the root of the tongue as well. In addition to the sensory functions of the vagus nerve, there are also motor functions, such as stimulating muscles in the pharynx, larynx, and the soft palate. Stimulating muscles in the heart, um, it helps lower your resting heart rate. And it stimulates involuntary contractions in the digestive tract, including the esophagus, stomach, and most of the intestines, which allow for food to move through the tract. Traditionally, in psychology, our nervous system has been thought of in really two parts. The sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems as sort of an antagonistic response um, to stressors resulting in the old fight or flight adage. In more recent years, however, um, we've added to that, and research has emerged that suggests even a third component to our nervous system, known as the social engagement system, so adding to the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. The following quote is from the article, Polyvagal Theory in Practice, um, as seen in Counseling Today by Dee Wagner, who is a licensed practicing counselor and a dance therapist. Quote, The social engagement system helps us navigate relationships. Helping our clients shift into use of their social engagement system allows them to become more flexible in their coping styles. The two other parts of our nervous system function to help us manage life-threatening situations. Most counselors are already familiar with the two defense mechanisms triggered by these two parts of the nervous system, sympathetic fight or flight and parasympathetic shutdown, sometimes called freeze or faint. Use of our social engagement system, on the other hand, requires a sense of safety. Now, this is where the vagus nerve comes into play. This vagal nerve circuit is called the ventral vagal complex, the VVC, or the social nervous system, as we've been talking about. Now, all three of these parts work together as a tiered response to threat. Tier one is the social nervous system. The whatever it takes, um, the communications to establish safety and connection between yourself or your client and their environment around them. Second tier is the sympathetic nervous system. This mobilizes the person into fight or flight and is more of a scared or angry response to a stress trigger. And the third tier is the parasympathetic nervous system. This immobilizes the body as the faint or freeze response. Um, this is where dissociation happens. Feelings of depression, hopelessness, helplessness, and a feeling that can be described as numb. Polyvagal theory in therapy and counseling was developed by Stephen Porges and uses the vagus nerve as the basis of therapy from the ground up in a holistic, body based approach that accounts for clients' capacities for growth and healing in stress. And in calm. By intentionally addressing self regulation and biologic hindrances, polyvagal theory essentially repatterns the body's capacity for regulation and creates autonomic patterns for safety and connection. If you work within a trauma informed approach or have taken trainings on trauma informed care and how trauma affects the body, then some of these concepts will be familiar to you. But perhaps the research wasn't explained in depth, or, you know, maybe the why wasn't answered so much as the what it looks like. I'd like to read an excerpt written by Deb Dana from a blog post on the Psychotherapy Networker website. She's going to explain a little bit of how the dorsal and the ventral vagus nerve branches play a role in regulation and therapy. Quote, From a polyvagal perspective, a key goal of therapy is to help the client find ways to move out of a dysregulated state, either a numbed out dorsal vagal state or a hyper-aroused sympathetic one, and return to ventral vagal, the biological seat of safety and connectedness. And because we can change our dominant life story only from a place of ventral vagal, it's crucial for both therapist and client to be able to accurately identify the state of their own nervous systems at any point in time, both in the therapy session and out in the wider world. Only when individuals are able to recognize their location on the polyvagal map can they begin the journey back to calm and connection." End quote. This theory really heavily relies on the unconditional positive regard and the regulated state of the therapist. Deb Dana goes on to say, That's because emotional healing can only take place when clinician and client establish a trusting nervous system to nervous system connection. Subconsciously, clients are continually picking up subtle cues from their therapist via tone of voice, eye contact, body posture and facial expressions from a slightly wrinkled brow to a particular movement of a hand. Throughout the session, clients are constantly reacting to these signals with sympathetic activation, dorsal shutdown or ventral openness and trust. So from a polyvagal perspective, healing client to therapist relationships requires therapists know their own ans and learn how to regulate it in the moment in the midst of any session end quote deb dana is a leading author on polyvagal theory alongside stephen porges and has developed trainings for clinicians on how to apply this theory to their work i will reference this in a little bit and link you to her trainings website Ultimately, the goal of utilizing polyvagal theory is to allow the therapist to understand how to help the client stimulate their ventral vagus nerve. The ventral branch of the vagus nerve is the nerve that allows us to engage the social component of our nervous system, that allows us to access and unlock our social engagement nervous system, that first tier right, that I talked about earlier, that's the first to go away when there is a perceived threat. Even before the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems take over, that ventral vagal social engagement aspect is the first to be shut down when the client is in a state of dysregulation. Porges coined the term neuroception to describe how our ANS, or our autonomic nervous system, is constantly scanning for threats without the use of our thinking brain. When our stress response triggers the activation of our social nervous system, we interpret danger or a threat, whether real or perceived. And because that dorsal branch to the vagus nerve is activated, it affects basic bodily functions such as hearing and even speech. The implications of this are that if we are working with the client who is in a state of threat, their physical bodily capacity to engage with their environment is limited in areas like hearing and speech. They physically will not likely be able to participate in psychotherapeutic or discussion based interventions until their stress state has been resolved and the ventral vagus nerve has returned to a state of security and safety. Let's stop right here for just a moment and take a little music break to let all of that information begin to digest as we dive into the clinical application portion of this episode. a little bit of the background of the um, neuroscience behind what polyvagal theory is, let's talk about the clinical applications both in the um, therapy and counseling world and then specifically music therapy. So first, I'd like to just briefly touch on a really fascinating and newer model of therapy designed by Dr. Dan Siegel. It's called Interpersonal Neurobiology, and like I said, it's a psychotherapeutic model designed by Dr. Dan Siegel in the 90s. The foundational principle of this model revolves around relationships, both in the life of the client and the therapeutic relationship. He poses that resilience and positive relationships come from the ability to self-regulate and foster healthy growth in the brain by tending to the vagus nerve and the body before and in conjunction with the mind. I'll link you in the show notes to a really neat TED Talk that Dr. Siegel gives when he begins to explain in such a simple and understandable way the relationship between the brain and resilience and therapy. Be sure to check it out. Zooming in even further, let's talk about music therapy. So how can we address the vagus nerve in a Body focused, ground up, holistic approach in music therapy. Many movement therapies um, utilize a polyvagal informed approach, specifically in yoga therapy, dance therapy, and even play therapy. I'll link in the show notes an exercise that is a simple example of how to help regulate the vagus nerve using your client's body. This is something that you could teach them to do pretty much anywhere. It's discreet. And it's a really great way to help them tap into their body once they're able to identify what stress state they're in and where they are on the polyvagal map that Deb Dana talked about. Singing, yoga, deep and slowed breathing, and humming are all natural ways to regulate the vagus nerve. This is why um, humming is comforting to um, an infant Singing is an excellent way to self-regulate. Yoga is another excellent way to really get in your body and physically trigger that ventral vagus nerve. And as pretty much everyone knows, slowed breathing and intentional breathing is one of the best and quickest ways to help regulate your body. Now, I had mentioned previously that there are trainings for clinicians to be able to learn how to incorporate polyvagal theory-informed exercises into their clinical practice. I'll link you to the show notes here, but Deb Dana is the founder of Rhythm of Regulation, and she ha- she offers these trainings um, to be able to equip clinicians to utilize different physical exercises in their therapy practice and these would be a great addition or a great continuing ed experience for music therapists to learn how to use the body to help their clients regulate. Now in music therapy specifically we have a physical medium to utilize movement in the body organically within our practice especially with instrument playing and movement in music. If we use this theory to inform our regulation practices in all types of therapy sessions, but especially when working with clients who have experienced trauma, we can join in this groundbreaking approach to therapy and utilize the fullest potential of our tool sets in music and in the body. Music is also an excellent and potentially non-threatening medium. Now, notice I say potentially because we know that music can be an invasive form of therapy and absolutely can be threatening if not used appropriately and therapeutically. But it is a potentially non-threatening medium to create connection between the client and the therapist, even the world around the client. Such a nonverbal tool as music could be an excellent and even exclusive way to address the social engagement component of the nervous system and create a safe space to hold your clients in, both during a state of stress or regulated calm. The relationship between the music therapist and the client becomes vital here, similar to the theory of interpersonal neurobiology. Music-centered approaches to music therapy specifically lend themselves incredibly well to allowing the client to find grounding, security, and co-regulation with the therapist in a very non-directive and non-verbal processing-based way. We know that the brain is not able to engage in psychodynamic or even many behavioral-based interventions when the body is in a state of fight, flight, freeze, or fold. And verbal processing is not appropriate or even possible for the client unless their ventral vagus nerve has been activated. Music without words and at the pace of the client can be that bridge between the therapist and the client and the vibrations and engagement of the body for the client could be incredibly beneficial to addressing the client's most immediate and primal biological needs. So what are some considerations that you can apply to your music therapy practice right now, today, as soon as you turn off this episode? What can you do at work today? And what are some practical things that you can apply starting now? Well, we do need to be aware first of common triggers of threat and threats to safety specifically within the body. So I'm borrowing this information from the Traumatic Stress Institute, which I will link to this resource in the show notes. But they list several common stimuli for a sense of threat as newness or change, tone of voice, bodily postures, loud noises, and low tones, low frequencies. So keep that in mind when you're choosing instruments and unpredictability. So in light of this, And uh, to kind of counteract these stimuli for a sense of threat, common stimuli for a sense of safety are familiar people, empathy and connection, music, meditation and yoga, time to think, good food, laughter and play, and feeling that others see and support you, that I've got your back, that unconditional positive Regard. So let's apply that practically to a music therapy session and kind of go through these and how you can apply these characteristics to your sessions. So first, a stimuli for sense of threat is newness or change. So creating structure within your session and consistency that your clients can count on every time they come to see you. This is one reason why music therapists utilize a hello and a goodbye song. That creates that opening and that closure and that structure that your clients can count on every time they come to see you. You could also consider incorporating transition songs to help your clients transition that change within the session so that there's not an abruptness or an, um, a newness that is alarming to them especially if you're going to be changing areas within your therapy setting or if you're in a classroom, you know, transitioning in and out of classwork or time with their peers in the classroom or group time. Consider your tone of voice and bodily postures. These are things that we, you know, we're we're at least briefly touched on in our um, educational training, but just really paying attention to the way that you communicate with them non-verbally as well as verbally. I mean, we know that, um, you know, social cues and non-verbal communication cues such as body posture, um, the way that you cross your leg, the way that you're sitting up in your chair, are you sitting on the floor? Are you sitting higher than your client? You know, these are all basic things that we need to consider with our body and especially our faces, because the, that those communication cues are almost more important than our verbal communication cues. Consider also loud noises and low tones. So, maybe thinking very strategically about the frequencies of the instruments that you present to your clients. Maybe consider, um, you know, what instruments you use and how loud or alarming they would be or triggering they might be in an improvisational music um, intervention. You know, it also mentions unpredictability. So is it, at least initially going to be triggering or threatening to your client to throw them into an improvisational intervention? Do they need to have that structure to kind of act as a container for expression and for music without um, making them feel vulnerable or exposed that might cause them to shut down? Moving on to that empathy and connection That relationship and the rapport between the music therapist and your client, between you and your client, is absolutely foundational. You know, there is all kinds of research on this, and I would encourage you to dig into that even more. But similar to the importance of and the effect on progress that that rapport has, it's also our ethical duty that if we're not able to build that rapport and build that relationship with our client, that we need to be honest about that with ourselves and with our clients and their families. And perhaps it's, you know, if, if you're just not able to get to that point where you feel like you can be effective, um, then maybe it's time for you to refer them to another therapist. If you work in a practice with multiple music therapists, that's the beauty of having a team, right? You can collaborate on that and say, you know, maybe I'm not the best fit, but maybe my coworker is, or knowing who other music therapists are in your area that you can refer your client to and help them really find the therapist that's going to be able to help them the best because if you can't build that empathy and that connection with that client it's going to be a huge hindrance to your to your client's potential progress in therapy music even on this list this provides a sense of safety and this is where client preferred music becomes so important because if you're utilizing the music that your client is already familiar with, there's that familiarity. There's that container. There's that structure and that safety because they they already feel familiar with it. They already have a connection to that music. They already feel that they are able to express something within that music. So, you know, starting from that common ground, that place where you where they tell you, I really love this song or you know, this song really makes me feel better about X, Y, Z, you know, really finding that place to meet them at their level with the music that they already love. I mean, that's just, that's just a given to music therapy. That's just a freebie that's given to us as an amazing, incredible tool to build that connection and build that rapport with our clients. And the last one that I want to touch on um, is feeling that others support you. Again, that unconditional positive regard. Letting your client know that this is a safe space where they are going to be validated, that they're going to be heard and seen and connected with. Um, you know, regardless of what behaviors they show in this session, that you're not going to turn them away or yell at them or, you know, get them in trouble or punish them at all or be any sort of threat to their emotional or their physical safety, you know, and that is where you as a therapist have to know yourself. You have to know what client behavior triggers might trigger a sense of threat in you that might trigger that Um, that dorsal vagus nerve response in you and so you have to be willing to do the work for yourself to be able to help them co-regulate because if your client is escalating and you're escalating then you're just both mutually going to escalate even farther than what you thought (laughs) where you thought you might go or they might go in the first place and there is research on this especially in a classroom setting with kids and teachers when the when the child is escalating and the teacher is able to maintain a steady state and help that child co-regulate, you can curb so many of the negative behaviors and so many, so much of the um, the emotional responses and those biologic responses that are really, really tough for kids to deal with and adults too. Figuring out how to regulate from that and come down from that and find a place of regulation it can be so disruptive in their day and it can really be damaging to them emotionally. So again, that co-regulation piece is absolutely key. Okay, everyone. Let's just take a moment to take a deep breath in and out and really just let that sink in. I threw so much information at you guys, so much research, and I'm hoping to equip you with so many resources to help you continue digging into what polyvagal theory is and how this neuroscience can really help us unlock the fullest potential of our music therapy clinical work. I hope that you found this interesting and informative and helpful, and I hope that you can see ways to apply this to help your clients. How might they benefit from this research? It's pretty universal, and like I mentioned, it specifically works beautifully with um, mental and behavioral health and specifically trauma-informed work. But these very primal biologic effects of stress and threat on the body can be applied to everybody. So consider this wherever you go in your clinical sessions, um, in your advocacy work, even in the grocery store. Look around you and see how this is applying to how your kids react during contingency, how you react in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, the applications of this research are all around us and so I just hope that this is great food for thought for you and that you will take this and apply it to your life and really help you grow as a clinician in your practice. Thank you so much for sticking around and and being willing to dive into this um, pretty heady information with me. Like I said, I know it was very dense, um, but... Maybe you're going to learn out about this as much as I do. Um, and, you know, I think this is a great starting point in the music therapy field to begin a conversation of that, you know, digging even deeper and applying this this evidence to our evidence-based practice. Um, I just can't wait to see the results of this type of research really blossoming in our field. And if you found this interesting and you start to apply this and you really feel like you're starting to see changes in your clients or see the results of how polyvagal theory works in your music therapy practice, I would love to hear from you. We would all love to hear from you. So reach out to us. As always, we love to hear from you. And feel free to drop us a line at musictherapyandbeyond at gmail.com please like and subscribe to our podcast so that you can make sure you're up to date on all of the resources that we want to give you every single week. If you're inclined also, please rate our podcast. You know, as a new podcast, those ratings mean so much to us. And we want to be able to continue to share these resources with more and more people, music therapists, musicians, community members alike thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for your time. I'm wishing you a week of music and wellness and knowledge, and we'll see you next time.